You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. According to the book of Acts, there were four practices that the followers of Jesus took up that turned the world upside down. Four practices. I don't want to just tell you about them. I'd like to this morning put them into context for you, in the context of what you already know, in the context of the good news of Jesus Christ. Remember that the man who wrote the book of Acts, the same man who wrote the Gospel of Luke, and so by the time we get to the book of Acts, he's assuming that the Gospel is your story, that you love the Gospel story, that it's good news to you. And uh, so I want to remind, I want to put this, these four practices today in the context of that Good news. Let's open up our Bibles to Act chapter 2, verses 37 through 42. You find it on page 886. And I'm going to invite you to read it, so please do turn there. If you're able, would you stand with me? Let's read aloud. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 42. When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're reading God's holy word. It's Pentecost Sunday. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This is the word of the Lord. Grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. Why is change so hard, so hard? It's because so often we go it alone. I'm going to talk about the dangers of going it alone uh, today, and I want to read to you a, an old piece of humor that's been around for decades, actually. I've shared it with some of you before, and as I read it, I'm watching at UPC how this plays, because like our construction workers and our medical professionals are all cringing and can't find anything humorous about it. But I'm an English major, so I'm just imagining it's fictional, uh, and, I, and I love it. So imagine a, a man, a worker who's filling out an insurance claim, and he tells us about the dangers of going it alone. Dear sir, I'm writing a response to your request for additional information. In block number three of the accident reporting form, I put, quote, trying to do the job alone, quote, as the cause of my accident. You said in your letter that I should explain more fully, and I trust that the following details will be sufficient. I am a bricklayer by trade. On the day of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a new six-story building. When I completed my work, I discovered that I had about 500 pounds of brick left over. Rather than carry the bricks down by hand, I decided to lower them in a barrel using a pulley, which fortunately was attached to the side of the building at the sixth floor. Securing the rope at ground level, I went up to the roof, swung the barrel out, and loaded the brick into it. Then I went back to the ground and untied the rope, holding it tight to ensure a slow descent of the 500 pounds of bricks. You will note in block number 11 of the accident reporting form that I weigh 135 pounds. (laughs) 
Due to my surprise of being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rather rapid rate up the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming down. This explains the fractured skull and broken collarbone. Slowed only slightly, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until the fingers of my right hand were two knuckles deep into the pulley. Fortunately, by this time, I had regained my presence of mind and was able to hold tightly to the rope in spite of my pain. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground and the bottom broke out of the barrel. Devoid of the weight of the bricks, the barrel now weighed approximately 50 pounds. I refer you again to my weight in the accident reporting form block number 11. As you might imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming up. <laughs> this accounted for the two fractured ankles and the lacerations on my legs and lower body. And the encounter with the barrel slowed me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell onto the pile of bricks. <clears throat> and fortunately, only three vertebrae were cracked. I'm sorry to report, however, that as I lay there on the bricks in pain, unable to stand and watching the empty barrel six stories above me, I again lost my presence of mind and let go of the rope. <laughs> well, I, apologies there. I want to try to turn that into a parable for you uh, today about the dangers of going it alone. You see, the message of Acts boiled down to the simplest possible message is you are not alone. I mean, that's your takeaway today. You are not alone. And uh, so when we read in verse 42, they devoted themselves to Let's remember, it's a they involved. It's not a me. It's not a you. It's not an I. It's a them. It's an us. It's a we. This is a community. They, us, devoted ourselves. You're not alone. You're with brothers and sisters in Christ. But it's not just that, is it? If you know the book of Acts, you know that the real protagonist is the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the wind of God, the Ruach, as they say in Hebrew times, uh, blowing through this movement of Jesus, a new culture into existence that turns the world upside down. No, we're not alone, not only because we have each other, but because God has taken a hold of us together as a community. He seized us and through us is doing a great work. Peter, in verse 40, 40 uh, quotes a little bit of conversation that's off the record. And I, I want to call your attention to it just briefly here. Uh, it says, Peter testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, and here's the quote, and this is kind of as the caption, the headline, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Okay, this is about change. This is about actually the inability to change. The corrupt generation is a phrase from Moses. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 5, Moses is singing a song. He's teaching Israel. And basically, it's about how this current generation that's about to go into the promised land is just about to repeat the the, the, the errors of the first generation that died in the wilderness exodus. And basically what he's saying is history is about to repeat itself. As a whole, people tend not to change. And so now Peter's going, look, he's, he's a realist about the intractability of some of the patterns that we face. We want to go alone without God. We want to go alone without one, one another. That's the way it's always been, and that's the way it's always going to be, unless we save ourselves. Now, I want to focus on that language, because it's actually probably mistranslated. It's a passive imperative. It really should say, let God save you. Let God save you. 
uh, Jews in that time tried not to use God's name. It was so sacred they didn't want to break the great commandment. So they w- would use the passive voice, and, th- and that's what Peter's doing here. Be saved. Uh, it doesn't mean like you could save yourself. It just means uh, r- open yourself to the salvation that only God can bring, and he can make a difference. Now, I, I want to come back to the context in which we're going to put these four practices. That's the context in which God is our Savior. Jesus is our Savior. So um, let's flip over to probably the clearest, most familiar articulation of the gospel that we find in the New Testament. In fact, in John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Put your bulletin there in Acts 2. Hold that because we're going to come back. But let's just take a little bit of a digression to John chapter 3. Look at these two verses because here we find the same word. John, as he remembers the teaching of Jesus, uses the same word for salvation. And, and, and we read, Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, here, here's motive, Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, to say, you should have changed, or you better change. He didn't. It was not a word of con- condemnation in his Son, Jesus. What, what did he do? In order that the world might be saved through him. This is the gospel. This is God's motive. He loves you. He loves you. Why did God bring salvation to this creation, to human history? Because he loves you. It's because God wants to have a relationship with you. It's because God wants to be intimate with you. That's his motivation. And I just want to get it out of your head that what God is trying to do is change you. You and I could afford to be changed, but that's not God's motivation fundamentally. His fundamental motivation is to embrace you. He's not trying to change you. He's trying to get close to you. You have to understand that before you can take up these four practices. And and once you do understand that, by the way, it's going to change the way in which you engage uh, these practices. This is about intimacy, first and foremost. Okay, so let's come back to Acts chapter 2, find then again, please, verse 42, page 886. If you don't have a bulletin, you lost it now. 886. There it is. They, that's 3,000 new believers of Pentecost Sunday, plus the 120 that were already there gathered in Jerusalem. They, 3,120, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, one, fellowship, two, breaking of bread, three, prayers, the prayers, four, God gives them these four practices and devotion to them because God wants to have intimacy with them. These are practices that cultivate intimacy. This is about a community that engages in these practices in such a way that they, that, that they become intimate with the living God through Jesus Christ. And, and I want to say to you that each of these practices, the community somehow il- uh, uh, removes a barrier between you and intimacy with God. In each of these four, there's a barrier that's being removed between you and intimacy with God. So um, let me do this. Let me go back to that, that um, funny story about the bricklayer and see if I can turn it into a parable for you. Uh, think of it as a magic story that might teach you the four great actions of biblical history, okay? So there are four doctrines, four actions, incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, and Pentecost. And I want to very quickly um, help you to see how you might think about those in the context of this funny bricklayer story. So would you put yourself inside the story for just a second? You're a bricklayer. 
you're sitting on a pile of bricks. You're on the ground. Actually, there's no pile at the beginning of the story. So you're, you're, you're on the ground, and you look up to the top of the building, six steps, stories up above you. There's someone on the rooftop. Actually, it's the contractor. Actually, let's imagine that the contractor is a perfect parent. You could, you could call this person your father, okay? And so you look up there, you go, I love this work. I love, cause I, the, my father's up there. And your father's looking down and going, I love that kid. And there he is, but there's kind of this distance between me. And, um, now you're at the beginning of the story. If, if, if it's uh, like the beginning of the, the original story, you actually, are, you're, you're wounded. You're, you're bruised. You've made a bunch of bad decisions repeatedly. You've kind of, there's this intractable pattern in your life, making one bad decision about, about the next. And you're sitting there, um, nursing the consequences of those behaviors. There you are. And by the way, there's kind of impending disaster because you're hearing a whistling sound above your head, right? It's that sound that Wiley e. Coyote hears when the Acme anvil is coming down uh, above your head. You know, you're hearing this, and uh, you look up and you go, there's not many more chapters to this story of my life. But <clears throat> good news is your father, the contractor from the rooftop, is looking down, and he's about to intervene. Why? Just a reminder, why? What's his motive? Love. Okay, you're, you're tracking me. Thanks. Yeah, because he, well, he loves you and wants to continue to have intimacy with you. So he's about to intervene. Okay, let's go through these four events. Boom, 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 boom. Boom number one is incarnation. All of a sudden, uh, you see another person up there on the rooftop. I didn't know there was anybody up there. Turns out it's your, your sibling. It's your brother. You didn't know you had a brother because you're, ordinarily he's invisible because he's the second God, the uh, second person of the Godhead, uh, son of God. And now all of a sudden, the father says to the son, I need you in a body. I need you as a human. So he takes on flesh. He's now 135 pounds. That's interesting. That's in box number 11, what you weigh as well. And there, the son is looking over the, the top of of the building down at you, <clears throat> he grabs the rope and he rides it right down to be right next to you, to be there in your situation, sits down next to you on the pile of bricks, okay? And he ties off that rope. That's what you should have done. The first, you should have kept it tied off. And then he puts the rope in your hand and he says, now, I want you to hold on to this rope. Whatever happens, you hold on to this rope, okay? That's incarnation. Boom. Second great action, crucifixion. <clears throat> Now the contractor on the roof starts loading bricks into this now elevated bucket. And they turn out that these bricks are your sins. Not just the sins that you've done, but all the sins you ever could possibly do. And they're loaded one brick at a time until we have 500 pounds worth of your sin. Not the world's, but your sin in this bucket. And uh, what happens next? Well, Jesus reaches over and he unties the rope right next to you. He pushes you out of the way and... There's the whistling sound, boom. Your sin comes and bruises, but crushes the head of your sibling. It's a very sad moment. That's the crucifixion. Boom. Second action. Third action, now resurrection, okay? Yeah, if you've been drawing arrows, this one is an up arrow, okay? We just had a down arrow. Now this is an up arrow. As the bricks come down, you start to go up, because remember... Uh, <coughs> Your brother had said to you, hold on to this rope, which you do, actually, and you jerk up at the same time that these bricks are going down. But somehow, and this is the part you really don't understand, you have this strange sense that as you go up, your brother is going up with you, that actually both of you at this moment are going up all the way, floor by floor, till you get to the sixth floor, and there is a family reunion at the top, and you see the contractor, and there's a sneaky little smile on his face, like, I knew this was going to happen just this way, and, and you're just about to say something. But what happens is your brother gets off 
onto the roof, and you're about to get off onto the roof, and the father says, this is not time for you right now. And you hear this distant crashing. Below you, the bottom of the barrel is emptying out, and now the bucket weighs 50 pounds. Remember, you weigh 135 pounds. Just before you're about to leave, Jesus, the Son of God, your sibling, looks into your face and blows. What is that all about? Right in your face. It's his spirit. He's infusing you now with his spirit, which is his presence, his personal, powerful presence. It's going to be with you now as you go flying down the side of this building towards the bottom. Just before you get the ground, the contractor stops the rope and you just step off. And there you are, walking away with a song in your heart. Okay, boom. That's Pentecost. So I tried to give you four. Did you get it? Incarnation, he's down there, down. Uh, uh, crucifixion, that's down. Uh, resurrection, that's up. And then Pentecost, he comes down with you, and you're not alone anymore. Now, I want you to see that. That's the gospel illustrated. Let's carry that now into these four practices, okay? This is the benefit of it. Of this, that is sort of a weird little story, but um, it may help us at this point. <clears throat> Before we even look at the practices again, I just want to say, notice that the, the bricklayer, you, the bricklayer, in this, you haven't changed yet, have you? But you're now, you have intimacy with God through the Spirit. But you're still the same person, okay? So again, God's not trying to change you as much as he's trying to love you and make sure you know you're not alone. Okay, but these, this, the practices now of this community will drive that intimacy deeper into the lives of each individual followers. And so let's look at these. They devoted themselves, verse 42, to the apostles' teaching. That's number one, okay? Uh, <clears throat> the apostles' teaching is the good news of the gospel shared with you in such a way that you trust God. And there's this moment, remember, when you're there, when, you, when your sibling says to you, hold on to this rope and don't let it go no matter what. Um, there's this moment where you're going, I don't understand that. I don't know why that's the case, but okay. If you're going to say okay and hold on the rope, you're going to have to trust, you're going to have to trust your brother. Okay? Are you getting this? When, when, when Jesus says, whoever, God so loved the world, so that whoever believes, but the Greek word for belief is the same Greek word for trust, whoever trusts me will not perish. So it's important to hear the word in such a way that you believe it. And, 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 and belief is not just intellectual assent to a set of doctrines. It's holding on for life. It's allowing your weight to hang on the faithfulness of Jesus. Okay? <laughs> And so we can't have intimacy with God. We can't experience his love unless we trust him. This week, this past week, I had a dinner party, and a couple of you were over, and you had this Internet romance. And the woman was an executive in China, and the man was actually, you could call him a construction worker in the United States. And for five years, they had an Internet correspondence. Before, it wasn't a dating website. They just met each other in cyberspace. <clears throat> For five years, they had a conversation, and then they started talking about marriage. And neither of them had wanted to get married, but it happened. And when the man first mentioned marriage, you know what the woman did? She had archived all of their correspondence for five years. She read it all. She said, why? She said, the reason I did that is I want to know if I could trust him. I want to know every word that this man has ever spoken to see if I can trust him with my love. See, that's, that's, how, you, that's, how, you ought to, that's how you ought to read the scriptures. The scriptures are written to you just for that purpose, to, to communicate God's faithfulness, to elicit your love. 
So, so they're gathering around the apostles' teaching. Remember, they don't have a full Bible yet, but, they, but they're gathering around God's Word. And so they have this intimate communication, is the point. And they're a, a learning community. Second, let's go. Uh, they devoted themselves to fellowship. <clears throat> fellowship. Now, now, what's that? Um, the word in Greek is koinonia. Uh, and it can mean like fellowship like we have up in Larson Hall, but it has nothing to do with cinnamon rolls in this context. And it has everything to do with, with caring for one another. Actually, caring in very concrete terms, it really actually has to do with money. Okay? And by the way, each of these four practices is elaborated in the paragraph that follows down below. And so you can see if you read down verse 45, they would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had any need. Now, this is scary to us as Americans because it sounds like communism, but it's not. They do this freely. Glad and generous hearts they have. They freely give. Now, and by the way, they, I think they maintain possession of their personal property. Many of them hold homes. There are some that are rich. Um, but they hold everything that they have. Everybody has holds everything that they have at the disposal of the community. So that when there's anybody in the community who has a need, they'll, they'll sell what they need to sell in order to meet that need. This is a beautiful picture of social justice that's happening. Now, why is it happening? Because God so loved the world, he gave. God's heart is a giving heart. God didn't give us money. He gave us what was more valuable to him than money, his son. But see, money can be a barrier to intimacy. I know in my life because money becomes a proxy for my fears. When I think about how much is in my retirement account, I can hear that whistling noise. (laughs) Oh my gosh, it's coming. Social security be done by the time I retire, I'm told, right? So all kinds of anxieties, you know, around around this little thing, right? And God wants to release us from that anxiety. He says, you know what, I'm your provider. I care for you. I'm I'm giving to you everything I've got. I'm going to give you more, and I'm going to keep giving and keep giving. So what I want you to do is you give because I can't fill hands that are already empty, uh, that are already full. And trust me on this one, because it's you're you're not like a bucket, you're like a hose. The more that goes out this end, I'm going to resource on this end. This is a community that's learning to make contact with God's generous heart by giving to one another. By the way, it is transformational. The watching world noticed. The Romans are like, there's one place in our empire right now where the widow, the orphan, the alien, the poor, the sick, they're all getting cared for. (laughs) Where ours are getting cared for, and it's the church. Okay? The followers of Jesus Christ have this, what we call it, social capital. <clears throat> but in a newspaper in the Seattle Times, there was a, there were two, two actually it wasn't Seattle Times this past week in Seattle. W- there are two types of social capital. There's bonding uh, social capital and there's bridging social capital. Bonding social capital is just where you look after yours and your own. Bridging social capital is where you extend that social capital into the lives of other people that are not yours and your own. Which one do you think Jesus calls his disciples to? Bridging social capital, and that's what's happening with this practice. So there's an intimate care. Now, they're not only a learning community, they're also a generous community. Third, third practice. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Okay, so Presbyterians have always loved food, right? And and I think that's some of it. Um, You know these were Presbyterians, don't you? Like when I was in Canada, they said, you know, St. Jean Baptiste, he was a Catholic, don't you know that? I don't know why I said that. Anyways... (laughs) Christians have always loved food, is the point. And, and, but this is not just about food. You have to understand. Do you hear the echo of the Lord's table? This is about forgiveness. 
This is about being, it's about our daily reminder. Every time you eat food, you should be reminded, I, I, I need to be forgiven and I have been forgiven. See, that's, that's what this is about. We gather as a community to remind one another house by house, these little house churches everywhere, that, that, that there is forgiveness. And so this becomes a vulnerable uh, community. Remember, when you're sitting there on the ground and you see the contractor loading bricks in and you, you, you realize, hey, that's my sin. Every single one of my sins is there. And, and then you see the resurrection happen and you see your brother with you going up. And, and even later in the story, when you're still back here on earth filled with the Holy Spirit, you can know that your brother who weighs 135 pounds in solidarity with you because he's meant to be your proxy before the Father stands there on your behalf. He's actually seated, as we said, in the, seated at the right hand of the Father because you have been forgiven. It is finished. You're a new creation. Boom. And this is a community that reminds themselves of that every day as they eat. Uh, so it's a vulnerable community. Uh, these are practices that will make a learning community, a generous community, a vulnerable community. Finally, there's guidance. <clears throat> Received in prayer. They devoted themselves to the prayers through which this loving God infuses a relationship with intimacy because he guides them and directs them as they prayer, pray. Three times a day, the Jews would go up to the temple. They appear to do that, but they also continue to pray, seems like wherever they go and in the houses, praising God, verse 47. Now, uh, what's that about? Here's the barrier to intimacy in my life, and I think yours too, and it's idolatry. It's loving as supreme what doesn't belong in the first place. And, and when we worship, we learn to love what is best, to love the good that is the best. David Foster Wallace says, the problem with Americans is that we should choose more carefully what to love. When I love success, when I love power, when I love uh, popularity, when I love, you know, um, good looks, beauty, whatever it is, health, any of those things, even my children, you know, those are all good things. But when they, they become the most important thing to me, I'm in a very dangerous and unstable place. And so, and there's not going to be intimacy with God in that place. And so we're called to pray, to speak to the one who is the best and let him guide us through life's choice. Remember, God so loved the world. He gave life. He gave life. He intends to give you life, which is not just eternal life. We read in the Gospel of John, life even today. Let me say, all of us in this room right now are in a process of discipleship. We're somewhere in this process. And we're here today because we're curious is this really true, this stuff about Jesus? And we come into this room and we hear people praying, bowing their heads and praying. We go, this is the funny thing about these people is they believe there's someone else in the room. Or you go to a small group and you go into that living room and they, everyone bows their head and they start praying. And you go, funny thing about these people is they actually believe there's this other in the room. Well, over time, you find yourself starting to say something yourself. You don't even know that if this other is there, but you join the prayers. One day you let your guard down, you dare to believe that this other might not only be there, but also be benevolent. That this other loves you and wants to be deeply intimate with you. Now you're on the hook, friends. Now you're on the hook because you're going to worship this other above all other things. So it becomes a worshiping community. They devoted themselves, the apostles' teaching and fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers. They're a learning community, a generous community, a vulnerable community, and a worshiping community. Now, this is not about changing you. It's about loving you. But here's what you find. Once you experience God's love, it does begin to change you. And not only you, the world. These are the people who turned the world upside down. You and me, 
in relationship with one another, filled with the Holy Spirit. So don't be alone this summer. Again, here's a little ad. Please join a small group. You can join a small group right now. You can start a small group on your own. You can go to our website and find one. You can fill out the Connect card and say, I want to be in a small group. Um, you can email smallgroups at upc.org. But please, do not be alone this summer. Let me close with this. By the way, if you're in a small group, I can't close, I can't close. If you're in a small group, have a conversation about these four practices this week and say, how do we do these four things? Okay, now I'm ready to go. But I want to go, I want to take you back to the bricklayer. Here's how I imagine that whole thing ending. I see that bricklayer stepping off the road, the rope, and uh, smiling, going, I'm not sure what just happened, but I think I like it. And there's now a song in his heart. He starts to whistle. Now, in the meantime, a crowd has gathered. There's been a lot of noise. It's a really strange thing that's happened. The people of the town, they've come out, and they've, they're gathered around, and some of them are really interested. Some of them are confused. Some of them are a bit angry at everything that's happened, all the broken stuff that's lying around. Hey, the bricklayer, you don't care. You just start to walk through the crowd and make your way out. As he goes, he reaches into his pocket, and there's a piece of paper in there. What's this? I'd forgotten about this piece of paper. You know, the contractor gave this to me weeks ago. He's, oh, I remember these were the people that the contractor asked me to call to help me with the project. There are names of people on that slip of paper. There's the name of another bricklayer. There's the name of someone. She's got a, a ladder. There's somebody else who's got a scale, and he could probably weigh bricks. And you think, you know what? I think I'm going to work for this contractor again. I really like this contractor. I want to do another job, but I, I think I won't do it alone. I think I'm going to call some of these people makes a promise to himself that he's going to do that. And as he walks away, feeling the Spirit of Jesus in his heart, he says to himself, I am not alone. And brothers and sisters of Christ, you aren't either. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what a beautiful communion. What a beautiful fellowship. What a beautiful koinonia. We've... Try to find so many clumsy ways to talk about the good news of who you are and what you have done. And we only do that because our hearts are glad and generous because of Jesus. So we pray for our community here at University Presbyterian Church. May we be a family of brothers and sisters who find rhythms and practices by which we live together, not only with one another, but also with our neighbors. And we pray that all the glory is yours. In Christ's name, amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.